0: Hi, my name is Dr. Russell Thackeray, and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a series of podcasts to help you thrive in life, whatever life throws at you. You'll hear from interesting guests who help you build tips, skills, and strategies to make the most of whatever it is you're doing in life and build happiness and well-being. Listen through to the end for an offer for a free ebook. Now settle back and enjoy today's episode. So today I'm talking to Sue Firth. Now I've known Sue for many, many years and um, in fact Sue for many, many, many years and Mm -hmm. um, it's great to have you on the podcast today. I'm really excited to chat to you because I know we're going to have a really fascinating conversation and I know you know acres about stress, people and change and such like and uh, so I think it's going to be really fun today. So um, Sue why don't you just tell us a bit about yourself, who you are, what you do.
1: Oh, thank you. Well, yes, you're quite right. We've known each other for years, haven't we? And I guess back then, I was a psychologist, but probably lacked a certain amount of experience. And now, all these years later, that's probably where I feel I'm a bit more adept. I've got very used to working with clients and largely an executive audience who, in their seniority, may very well be equipped to manage a business particularly well, but possibly don't know a great deal about how to manage their own lives or their own stress. And then, That manifests itself if they start to implement initiatives within their business, encouraging people to come along with them, and they're not particularly understanding if they lag behind and don't adapt quickly to the changes, which by default then makes those individuals stressed so I get involved if you like supporting and consulting with businesses either at the exec level so that they themselves can feel better equipped or to develop a toolkit within the business to support the more junior individuals to to be able to handle change and stress
0: wow that's a lot Um, So, I I guess you're busy, and I I know my wife regularly sees you contributing to women's magazines and giving advice on relationships and such like, so you're obviously not just working in the corporate market, but with... um you know, with individuals as well,
1: perhaps? No, that's absolutely true. It's funny, really. I I don't know which one came first, in a way. I think probably the general public side of what I did, because I find that when psychologists register with the British Psychological Society, that they are quite willing to be able to talk to the press. That's really how it begins. And you tend to find then that the BPS, which we call them for short, get in touch and then say, "Okay, what subjects are you interested in discussing or talking about? And in my case, it's a very broad, Broad range from you know loneliness at one end of the spectrum to um handling old age sort of thing at the other end and and that's really the generic stuff which is how it first began I think, and I started writing articles, responding to requests from journalists, and generally finding bits and snippets that I said went into the press. And whilst that still happens, it means that my Twitter feed and newsletters and so forth all need to pay attention to the stuff that I think people genuinely value that I've got to offer. So, yes, you're quite right. I've turned into a bit of a relationship expert, but not one I claim to know, you know, by virtue of academic qualifications, just because I think... First and foremost, and at heart, I probably appeal to both the corporate and the private market because I'm a pragmatist, I think, and that's my probable, you know, that's probably my most sort of genuine characteristic.
0: Yeah. It's, it's interesting, um, um, and speaking as a sort of colleague, it's quite interesting when people say, well, well what, what is a psychologist? What does a psychologist do? Mm-hmm. Have you got an easy way of, of, of sort of summing that up?
1: Well, the easiest way that I describe it, I think, is that if you were to look on a typical continuum of human nature and human concerns, on one end of the spectrum you've got neuroses and the kind of areas where people are um, really quite extreme and concerned about themselves, excessively low self-esteem, um, ex- you know, the obsessive-compulsive disorder, and at the other end you've got psychoses, rather unfortunately, which is the t- kind of type of distortion that tends to happen in the brain and that both of those are the remit of a psychiatrist there's quite a lot that fits in the middle which is general day-to-day behavior and motivation happiness fit cultural fit within businesses um, and all to do with engagement and really how committed somebody feels to what it is they've got going on in their life and their work And this is all within the brief of a psychologist. In essence, what we do is the relationship between the way a person thinks and the way they behave. And that's the analysis that we have got used to doing right from the very beginning when we become trained. And then we start to apply that in the world of the field of of whatever it is that we've taken our qualifications in. In my case, I'm a business psychologist, which is why I spend a lot of time in the corporate
0: world. Mm. So... So if someone wants to engage someone like yourself or you what what would be the symptoms in their business they'd like to, um, they'd like to have dealt with or improved sure.
1: Well, sometimes they they aren't particularly aware of there being any sort of problems and they actually come and just sit because they're in an audience of which I'm speaking to. And in that context, they're learning something largely about themselves as a first and foremost. So, if I come in and I talk about stress, it's a toolkit that I teach, which is to do with the way they handle their day-to-day lives and what they do feel they're in control of. And I've long since recognized that execs like a certain amount of control. And the more they control what they feel or how they react to situations, the better equipped and more adept they they get. Then they start with light bulb moments which say, ah, I've spotted X, Y or Z in my workforce or at senior level or down below me in, in management level or even below that, who may or may not be handling the world of work or their life particularly well. And that little light bulb is hugely helpful to me, not only because it's a very personal reference and then they can start applying what they're learning to somebody but it means that they start to think about how someone would would need my help and what I can do that would be practical or realistic and even if they don't think of somebody they might call me in to now present on the same pragmatic toolkit to the top execs who then teach their managers and the managers then know what to look for in their staff and that's to answer your question the initial symptom which usually it starts to go wrong. Managers don't feel adept at approaching an individual and knowing how to discuss the subject without pressing somebody's buttons or causing more, tr- more, more trouble.
0: So what are the, so you mentioned um, things that you can spot in teams or people around you that indicate this potential issue, of stress or whatever it might be. So w- yes. w- what sort of things should people look out for?
1: Right, so that's a variety really. You might find that an individual has got either... Uh, a certain amount of persistent unhappiness or disruption in the sense that they take time off or they seem to be keep, keep falling ill or they are not particularly engaged they are not focused, they are not delivering they may be making persistent errors they may try their very best but not particularly actually seem able to deliver and this is when stress starts to drag that individual down the risk is that if they're taking time off that has an impact on the rest of the team because they either need to hold up that individual's work or they need to hold the individual up themselves, so the second symptom can be a sense of dissatisfaction disengaged or or, or trouble in the rest of the team they're mm. complaining, they are not very committed to each other and they are unhappy with holding somebody up. Now this is this is obviously at its most extreme, you and I might be extremely nice, kind and, and giving to somebody for the first month or so but then beyond that it begins to be an issue that ought to be dealt with and if a manager persistently misses it then that turns into a quite significant problem for the team as they hold each other up. That's one whole set. The, the other is a quite different sense of direction. You can have, at a very senior level, you can have recruited somebody in, but then find actually that they may, you may be wanting more from them than they are capable of. So unwittingly, you may have over-promoted them, or you may have bought in an individual who you thought looked damn good on paper, and then find that they simply don't deliver when it actually comes down to it. And each of these individuals are different types of reaction to stress. And therefore need a one-to-one approach or in the case of the team you need to be able to get in there and try to get to the bottom of what the problem is and resolve it.
0: And certainly I have found many times that one of the biggest problems that managers have to deal with in terms of their own people is that the manager themselves is the problem.
1: Mm. A percentage of the time I would say so. I tend to draw a little bit of an image um, and it's just a drawing on paper where I imply, really, that and it's a bit of a pun on the concept of climate change. So, you know, if if the, if the top execs are responsible for the climate, the manager is responsible for the weather. Right. And, and what that actually means in reality is that unless that manager has got what it is that the business is trying to achieve, is totally on board with it and is very productive, communicative, engaged, capable, willing, all those kind of things and so are the staff because there's a very good sense of trust and commitment from everybody to each other, then whatever that manager is or is not doing will come back in some way either because it will turn that weather miserable and rainy in a metaphorical sense and everybody will feel it because you know they, they don't feel engaged or they're not committed or there is a very real sense that that team is not pulling its its weight, and um, unfortunately, a significant percentage of the time, it can be the manager who's creating that, because their value system either clashes with what the business wants to do, they're not on board about it, they don't believe in it, they don't agree, whatever it is, or worse, they're quite autocratic, very pushy, very demanding. And no one is brave enough to say so. So there are, I'm sure you've probably come across this too, there are numerous circumstances in which some people find themselves really having to swim upstream, and it gets quite miserable over time.
0: Yes, and it's its its no longer acceptable, isn't it, to have um, people you're hiring, engaging, and, um, you know, spending money on salaries and such like, and then treating and managing them poorly and not being aware of stress, especially now where stress has become part of the acceptable language of business. And certainly 20 years ago, we didn't talk about stress. It was stress is for wimps. But now we sort of realize that stress is a a real thing and and it needs to be looked after.
1: Well, I think you're probably right. I think there's still quite a few businesses that lag behind Mm. because it's an it's an uncomfortable subject. At least it is if we call it by that name. So we've morphed over the last few years into referring to well-being, which is a broader term anyway, and probably a very justifiable one because health and well-being is made up of a lot more than just you know your management of your everyday stress. It's made up of the the variety of bits of of whether or not an individual is looking after themselves. So you might have nutrition, which is built in there, and physical exercise. And you've also then got um, all sorts of stuff around whether or not a person is comfortably seated properly at their table to desk height and all the rest of the physio and physical sort of symptoms that that person can get. So we're paying a lot of attention to a more generic term, which couches the – concept of stress quite comfortably and it it stops the overuse of the term or the over spotlight of the term and I think we've then moved even further into the concept of resilience which is actually quite a proactive principle that's that's really got its benefits I feel because most of the time anyway when a business is catching people because they are stressed they're doing so retrospectively rather than proactively right at the very beginning.
0: Yes, well, I mean, certainly we, we work in this area of resilience precisely because of that, because stress is part of the, the issue and part of the opportunity, not the single thing. Um, but, but stress is, I think people um, under, still um, underestimate the effects of stress on their body, their health, their lives, and such like. Um, I mean, do you still think enough goes on in terms of people's awareness individually as well as the corporate attitude to stresses?
1: No, I would say you're probably right. But I think I think it happens in little pockets. And I think that either happens because we've got a very productive or very enterprising HR or perhaps an occupational health department or we have a very enterprising exec who has, you know, chief exec who's been out there and listened to a number of interesting presentations or workshops and then comes back and then feels confident about what to introduce into the business. And sometimes it's as simple as that. They lack the confidence about how to do this. What form should it take? We can't be particularly prescriptive in life. You know, that has never necessarily worked with the medical angle of you should or you ought or you will suffer if you don't. You know, it never worked when we're trying to stop people smoking. It's, no, it's never particularly worked when we're trying to get them to exercise to avoid heart disease. So is it really going to work by trying to show them some kind of arbitrary figures about the cost stress has? Because in it, invariably, the majority of us are able to put our head back in the sand and say, well, that will either never happen to me or that, well, I don't do that. So it's not relevant to me. And either way, we're therefore able to largely bypass it If if indeed it's not something we're interested in. And obviously, whole businesses fall into that camp. They don't want to accept that they have a responsibility to people or that there is anything that they know how to do. Yet, when it's the opposite and a business is willing to pay attention to the health and well-being of their employees, it pays. It seems to pay off quite markedly, especially in certain industries, the care industry, for example, because that is predominantly and inherently a very stressful place to work.
0: So if you're working with a a chief exec or a a team leader or manager or or with an individual, what what are the sort of top tips you can use when you begin to get them to think about stress and to begin to get them to reduce the negative effects of it?
1: Sure. Well, I do this in a very pragmatic way, really. So I draw an illustration, which I guess is, you know, you probably have to imagine now with me, if you would. Um, and it's a pictorial image of a straightforward two-line diagram. So from top to bottom in a vertical line, it's referring to the physical changes that the body can go through. And I'm, it's layman's in terms, if you like. So it's simple toggling between being active and busy or at the bottom, you know, quiet and relaxed. And then I share with them the chemicals that will help get them that way. So if you're very active and busy, you're likely to be drawing on adrenaline. And, and adrenaline needs to, you know, does certain things to the body and has certain impacts. And then at the bottom, if you are quite calm and relaxed, then you're more than likely going to be producing more serotonin. And that, by its, by its own sake, is also having a very positive impact on your well-being. So those two states, as we begin to start referring to them as being, start to teach insects the concept that they are in control of their state and that they can actually influence this due to the chemicals that they trigger into their body. Some of them obviously thrive on adrenaline to such a degree that you'd have a hard time ever convincing them that not doing would be a good thing. But it's the concept that they learn pretty fast, especially when you start to introduce the other axis, which is a horizontal line, slap bang in the middle of the vertical one. And that illustrates what happens in the brain's chemistry between being unhappy and bothered and tired and positive and happy at the other end. So then we start, that, that creates this diagram that develops into four principal states. And when you're happy but you're busy, what do you need and what does that feel like? And they begin to get to grips with, oh, yeah, well, that's me being productive or I'm on a high or I feel good or I've done well. And that's obviously where they would like to be. But if you try and aim to be there 24-7, you're going to be using the adrenals to do it. And they cannot pump for you to maintain that. So it pretty much, if they, if we use a metaphor, which is where I get to within quite a short period of time, it teaches them quite quickly that like a car, you can put petrol in the car, but you have to stop for it every now and again. So of course petrol will make a difference rather like adrenaline does to the body and you can run on it for for ages but you can't run it forever no. because it you'll run out and and it's it's simple principles really metaphors perhaps and me being a pragmatist that helps teach them almost like a full-scale chemistry lesson, to be honest with you, Russell, but in such a way that they feel they can take it on quite simply. Yes. And then, in a nutshell, once they've learned the chemicals and the states, they begin to realize, oh, yeah, okay, here's some light bulbs. So this explains why, when I feel aggravated, tired, and fed up, that actually that's because chemicals are in my system. But then if I don't go and get rid of those, it's only going to come back again and and plague me tomorrow. And that that explains why I then feel a bit crap the following day and so forth. And they really learn quite quickly.
0: Yes. I mean, it it is interesting using the physiology to illustrate the chemicals to illustrate the the sort of feelings and sensations. Because often often a, a lot of therapy type people tend to go in the other way, don't they, around the whole... So the less practical area of it, I suppose, the so too much about feelings and sensations and emotional states and such like?
1: Um, I think the, the error, if I may use that word, but with great care, that therapists sometimes come at it, is that they start to talk about cognitive, which is the way you think. And I utterly have respect for that because at heart or at core, the only way you're going to be able to handle stress for the longer term is if you learn and quite quickly to distinguish what your sources of stress are which is always those external factors in your life that create the circumstances you find yourself in whether that's the need to move house stuck in traffic, very loud noises um, very hot in the summer and, and you know, in the underground whatever those sources are and your thoughts around those at that moment in time so what you are thinking so if your child is playing up it's clearly the source of stress is your child playing up, but why it troubles you is what you then think about it. Now, that source and cause and correlation is an extremely strong theme in stress management, and we know very genuinely that when that becomes dysfunctional over a long period of time, that also underpins the solution to stress, which is cognitive behavioural therapy. Hmm. All of these have huge validity, but they create quite a lot of time, effort and energy to change. And therefore, a pragmatic toolkit around states, emotional states, physical states and so forth, is the double whammy that gives them something they can do now.
0: Hmm. And um, I'm guessing that as part of this mix, the sort of relationship you have, the relationships you have both with team members, colleagues and family and uh, partners and such like are a key part of this because you can have very toxic relationships but also very enabling and nurturing and useful relationships
1: yes you're absolutely right you asked me initially okay so what are the tips that I start to recommend so okay having shared with you the chemistry then I would say to you that the top 10 tips which are the pragmatic immediate tips are all about quick fixing stuff but in the longer term, there is huge value in what you've just said a minute ago, which is analyzing, A, your circumstances, B, the support network you have got, and C, unfortunately for us, how much those people do or don't contribute to those same toxic or, or stressful feelings and let's face it when you've got very young children they are as beautiful and as hugely fantastic to you as they are draining and tiring yeah. and and you've got you know it's a fact of life it's not it's not something that when you come and see somebody like me you are made to feel that you're being judged about but it is a fact of life and it helps a great deal. The more aware you become of those and then the more valuable you realize and precious is your emotional energy. And if you expend it on everybody and everything, then you're going to feel used up and exhausted. So there are some real angles that somebody can take with you as an external support mechanism for you that... It doesn't, they don't have to be rocket-sized, Russ, you know, but they are usually insightful and they help you have a bit more of a sense of direction or a plan of action. And but that in itself also is hugely helpful. Otherwise, you're going to lean on the very people that you've just alluded to who might actually be part of the toxic mix you haven't really appreciated are making you feel stressed in the first place.
0: Yeah, and there's also a paradox here, isn't there? Because I'm assuming that... Um The more stressed you are, the harder it is often to ask for help.
1: Mm. That's a very good point. The majority of us find it a hugely vulnerable experience to admit that we're not handling something quite so well. And I admit that that precursor has to happen first. You have to slide down a certain way and then find yourself not smiling, feeling miserable, and then finding that actually that is not on or that you don't want to feel that way anymore to recognize that you may or may not have all of the answers as to how to to pull yourself back up. And then inevitably it helps a lot to talk that through with somebody who's non-judgmental and not involved because the action plan that you hopefully come up with starts to give you a ladder to pull yourself back up step by step. And it's taking those small changes or small steps that make the difference. Otherwise, if you try to problem solve it by yourself, you may be trying to use what I refer to as a toolkit in your kit bag that's either outdated or inadequate for the situation you're in. So you'll, you'll feel overwhelmed or risk, you know, potentially that sense of drowning. I'm not doing so well here simply by virtue of, of even though you're doing your best, you know, yes. and most people are.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating, and it's interesting when you talk about problem solving, because there's often this sort of um, stereotypical view of male-female relationships where the male likes to problem solve. So, yes. and I know it's, it's a cliche, but it's, there's some truth in it, isn't there, about the woman who wants support and process and the man who wants to fix it. Um, yes, and that's
1: yes, uh, yeah, there really is, which also makes sense of the fact that the actual number of people that I see, 80% of them are men. Really. Oh, yes, definitely. And um, that's quite a a surprise, isn't it? Yet, to me, it's much less so. But if I explain the reason why, it takes a lot for them to come and see me in order to actually ask for that support. But then they usually don't come through the door that's labeled needs help. They come through it by a different means. They come through it because they've got an issue at work. They've got... Um, a problem that someone else has got that they want to talk about so they'll come through it through a different label but then they will have the wherewithal to be able to talk about themselves and it's that recognition or support which they get which they subsequently get back that helps them realize crikey i never realized i actually needed this but now i've got it it's hugely helpful and and so you know even men who like to problem solve aren't always good at being able to sort what's underneath their own nose and then begin to recognize it's a huge help to have a consultant of some sort come in and and support you. Um, and, and I hate to use the word but advise you and you know you seek advice on your business so why not seek it on yourself it's really no different it just means that you need to actually feel it's okay to find somebody like me.
0: Yeah it's, it's, it's a really good point because as a colleague of mine who um, talks about the business numbers but we should we should know our own performance numbers and our health yeah. and well-being numbers and our stress numbers yeah. and our resilience numbers because they're the inputs that generate the KPIs for the organisation. And I don't think people really make that link enough. No.
1: No, that's fantastic. Know your numbers is actually a really good expression. And in the case of physical numbers, that, of course, would be easy enough. And we're just about getting to the stage where people have become aware of those now. So that is the obvious stuff of your blood pressure, your cholesterol level, um, what the ratio of your cholesterol is between good and bad. And essentially, the amount of fat that you've got in your body—you know—these are straightforward indices that we can measure, which give you a very strong indication of how healthy and well you are. We're, as I said, just about getting to the stage where people are now tolerant of being told all of those, or they positively seek them out, and not all—all. All all the time through private healthcare but but because their doctor can do the majority of those tests. Yeah. When, we, when it comes to stress indicators, we're looking for cortisol measures yeah. and cortisol is a, a tougher chemical as you probably know and it's indicative of there being um, a, a greater struggle for that individual because they're not just pulling on the adrenals to support them through the use of adrenaline but through cortisol which should be in there at certain times of the day and not in there all the times of the day because it disrupts sleep patterns and so forth and that would be the other symptom that usually you find an exec or someone who's in trouble and unhappy will complain of it's either their stomach playing up or they're not sleeping And, and of course not sleeping for short periods of time is totally normal please I don't want to make everybody out there feel panicked but consistently uh, you know, symptomatic of of insomnia or troubled mind and not resolving issues is likely to be a, a, a an indicative of them feeling that they actually could probably reach out for support and would more than likely benefit from it.
0: Yes, we're going to have a, a couple of special podcasts all about the subject of sleep because it's one of the things that people ask for us a lot. Is you know, and it's, it's a real concern for you know, a lot of people. You know, even asking, you know, how much sleep should I have a night, and and not realising there's a lot of very practical toolkits and um, suggestions and methods that help people, you know, really improve and have a good night's sleep. And, yes. as I, and as someone who's a fan of sleep, you know, I, I like to, it's, it's one of my favourite subjects, I have to say.
1: <laughs> well, I've I've been an insomniac since my divorce, and I think the sad reality is that it does develop an habitual pattern, and that's a, that's very unfortunate. But coming to terms with it and recognising it means that at least you can get on top of it. <coughs> yeah. Because if you know that it's, a, it's the normal thing for you, and it's become the norm for you, then accepting that is the first first part, really, up to a point. But then tackling it means that I am a lot more proactive about tackling it. I catch it quicker. And, and that's the key, especially with stress and especially with anything to do with my toolkit, in a way, is it, it's not so much that you can fix it for life. It's that you actually come to recognize it earlier and earlier and then intervene sooner. And yes. it's that... So it's, it's using the tools in your kit bag and using them quicker and earlier. And it's that which helps you also build, for want of a better word, resilience, but even resilience in the face of difficulties again, because everybody experiences difficulties in life. That is normal, you know. Yeah, in you. fact, if anything, this whole conversation could be another sort of 50 minutes all about the way we are taught as young children you know, the whole process of what is okay and not okay. And unfortunately, that's at, at the heart of some of this for some of us. You know, we're quite perfectionist, quite competitive, and at heart really quite strongly against w- experiencing problems because we somehow think they shouldn't be there. Well, believe me, that it's normal. You know, problems are normal.
0: Yeah. No, and it's good. I mean, the human beings thrive through adversity. And, you know, I meet people who... Um say I'm a failure because I've just returned from a period of stress or depression or whatever and they don't realise they're the survivors, they're the people who are building their resilience because they've come back.
1: Absolutely. And um, resili-
0: I think that you're right. And the, the, part, the, point, the point about resilience is that you know you've got to after the event um, because it's something you learn from experience. And I'm going to take you up on that offer to come back and talk about the childhood thing because um, if you're, you're linking one of my favourite authors and subjects there with something I'm really interested around with the whole attachment theory angle which I've been talking about with um, Antonio Bufulco who's one of our um, other contributors. So we we're, we should have another conversation about that. But before we do, one of the things you talked about earlier I wrote down because it's one of my favourite subjects and I think is a real key around stress and business and it's self-esteem. Mm. And I think, um, and, and it, again, it's it's a male-female thing but often... You know, characterize more as a female thing, but just, I mean, both genders seem to have it. And this idea of how do we, how do we build our self esteem? Because if we can build our self esteem, then at least we can feel worthy in ourselves that we're good enough to have the right thoughts to be able to counter the stress. So it's almost well, like, you know, this sits at the, us often sits right at the heart of social issues.
1: Yeah, and I think I think it probably does. I, I probably think when I look back to all the years that you and I have known each other, it's curious, isn't it, that we haven't actually sat down and in so many words ever actually said that until now. But both of us, through our separate um, approaches to this subject, have found a complementary sense that that is at key or at heart, that the core problem for, for the majority of individuals. If you think you can't, then you've learned that somewhere, somehow. Yeah. And that inherent belief system which also coming back to our initial point about what we take on board as children and where we take that from and how we learn all of that too comes from what people say to us what we have modeled what we get told and the good and bad in terms of how we get told that and unfortunately it begins to develop such a focus in our filter, as I call it, that you can end up filtering out all the good and only filter in the bad or filter in the negative or filter in the um, the, the problems. And this whole filter mechanism becomes quite dysfunctional. I wouldn't say damaged because damaged implies it can't be fixed, yeah. but dysfunctional. And I think the dysfunctional filter means you have a massive time trying to get over and above that. It's rather right like a brick wall. And building a ladder to get up and over that brick wall becomes, for some people, a lifelong job.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and this is the struggle. And it's a real pain because, you know, it's too easy for me to say, well, the key would be to try to not to damage your self-esteem in the first place because, of course, what, what we come back to is how people learn self-esteem and then how it becomes vulnerable, and then the key people who are nearest and dearest to us and, unfortunately, the things they get right and wrong in terms of the impact that has on our self-esteem. And all of this is important. They're
0: all key. Yeah, blimey. It's, it's really something, isn't it? I like your analogy about building the wall, building the lads to get over the wall. If you... and know this is a really trite question, but are there one or two simple, simple things that people can do if they... Yes. You know, that to be begin to even just think about this subject to yeah, think, well, yeah. how can I begin to build either my own self-esteem or if I'm if I'm parenting, you know, what do I need to be doing to build my child's self-esteem?
1: Yeah, in fact your your questions are hugely helpful, thanks, because I, I can appreciate the fact that such is the the volume of information that we that you that this triggers in both of us, it's too easy to start going off piste, isn't it? And I've just done that. Yeah, so, I re- no, did that. so as I pull myself back and I answer your initial question, okay There are more than a couple, actually. There's probably some very good books out there. And and even I have produced a a download, I think, which is on self-esteem because I believe very strongly in it. If we go back to the life events that tend to have an impact, then it means one of the ways that you counteract your risk of low self-esteem is you start to pay attention on a daily basis to anything good that's happened. Absolutely anything. So you keep a little very private diary at the end of the day and you start to record even if it's only one thing that was good today someone said something nice uh, somebody waited for you before you, you know they came through the door um, somebody said thank you there was uh, someone who waited in their car for you whatever it is start small mm. because the more you adjust this filter to start paying attention to the good stuff In a month or two, it will start to pay attention to the good stuff about you and about your own thinking and about what's happened to you that day. And that's how you begin, I believe. So you just begin to shift it so that it spotlights different stuff than it's been used to spotlighting all day, every day. Mm. And I think that's the first one. The second thing is, I would ask anybody to attempt to write down a few of their strengths, even if they find that very, very difficult. And I would equally ask them to reach out to somebody, preferably several people who they're close to and they feel are precious, and ask them who what they think their strengths are. So ask your mother, your best friend, your boyfriend, whoever it is, and see whether or not they can give you two or three more than you had from the other person you asked So that you amass just a little bit of card or back in your little diary, half a dozen, and build it each time you go through something that you have achieved. And an achievement is very, very difficult because anyone with a low self-esteem doesn't see anything as an achievement. So you give a presentation, you write a good report, your boss says thank you. Whatever it is, just filter that event and say to yourself, right, What did he say to me? What did they say? I know they said, you are very capable. Right, capable. That's a strength. And you get it down and you start to build your list, Russell. And I believe very strongly that over the course of a few months, you have then got positive events to look at and positive statements about yourself. And that's where I
0: think you begin. And I think that's that's fascinating. And it's, it's, it's the hallmark of someone who has low self-esteem when their boss says they're capable, they see that as a negative. Because, yes. and, and, and I think this is where leaders and managers can be really useful in their in their language to be incredibly specific with people who have low self-esteem. So yes. they're being completely focused on saying, and, and avoiding words like capable and saying, you know, you've, you've achieved or met a standard or exceeded a standard in these particular ways. Because, yes. Because otherwise person with low self-esteem will see even good feedback as being somehow negative, won't they, if they're not careful.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right because it's back to the filter. The filter has become so dysfunctional that majority of the time things are either shades of grey or black. It makes it extremely difficult for them. So if that person, for example, went, went into a recruitment situation because they wanted to try for a new job, they, they'd be on the back foot from the start because once they're asked, as is always the case in interview, what are your strengths, they wouldn't really be able to talk about themselves particularly positively because their inclination would be to soften that statement before they've even begun. Well, I think I am. Mm. Or, well, other people tell me. Yeah. Well, I try to be. And then it, e- either of those don't sound like very positive or very really enthusiastic statements. They sound half-hearted. So it's also in your language. It's absolutely 100% in your language. It's how you talk about yourself. And that's the next step. You have to start to tackle how you talk about yourself, what you write down when you talk about yourself, what and, and that slowly but surely over time starts to adjust the way you think and then starts to change what comes out of your mouth. So that if you if you can't say it really positively, then it's fine, but start to pay attention to how you're talking about yourself, and that's the next step, too. Yeah. So it's it's all about adjusting and taking small steps building the
0: ladder so you can climb the wall. Um, I've just looked at my timer, and 38 minutes and 6 seconds have gone past. This has been absolutely brilliant. So as I, as I said right at the beginning, this is going to be an, an awesome conversation. And I, I know you and I could talk for hours, and there's, there's an enormous amount of value that you can bring. And I know you consult individually with um, individuals, I should say, and you, with corporates and such like. So you mentioned a, a download for self-esteem. Perhaps you could tell us mm-hmm. how... We could get a hold of that download, and maybe if people want to contact you and come and talk to you about um, what you offer individually or for business how, how would how would someone get in touch with you
1: yes, thank you that 's really great. There are downloads both on stress and on self esteem there 's also the ebook or or um, the kindle version of my stress book and thanks for asking they're all available on my website which is Suefirthlimited.com uh, limited with the short version of ltd.com and these are mp3 downloads on the whole they're quite easy to be able to do you can also i think find the book on amazon um what's it called what's the I'm book productive? called i sorry say again
0: what's the book called
1: um, it's called more life, less stress. Oh
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> and, uh, I think, yes, that was quite, that was quite precious. I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm pretty productive with this stuff, meaning I quite like writing. So there's also, to be fair, if you just like something short, a lot of blogs on my website and you might very well find just searching for the one on self esteem. Yeah. There's also ones on sleep. There's obviously ones on stress and change Um, And we've just loaded one that's sort of fairly recent about resilience in children. And I'm just finishing off the one on resilience in adults. So I think blogs are also a really easy way to get into the subject, but perhaps on a piecemeal basis until you feel ready to go searching for, you know, either the MP3 or a good old
0: book. Well, uh, well, I've known you for many years, Sue, and it's always been a joy to chat, chat, even when it's whether it's sitting down for a cup of tea and having a gossip about whatever it may be, through to, you know, sort of professional coaching we do for each other and, you know, just chatting about this subject. It's just been awesome. Listening to you break down the subject into really interesting and sensible, practical steps is fascinating. Thank you. I've, oh, learned I've learned something, to I've learned tons as well, I've got, to I've got lots written down which is always a sign of a good session and um, <laughs> I'm going to let you go now thank you very much but maybe take you up on that offer to come back and do something else around sleep or whatever it is that you might think is useful in the future.
1: That would be very great, i am very, very happy to.
0: So you're a star, thanks ever so much and take care. Thanks for listening today, you can go to our site qedod.com forward slash podcasts subscribe and see other titles in this series. Um, you can also contact us at info at qedod.com by sending us an email to talk about tough love leadership, accountability, resilience or avoiding burnout. And if you want a copy of our free ebook which talks about the fundamentals of resilience just go to the site and go to qedod.com forward slash free ebook and download it there. Take care.